So you've heard the term before, passing the torch, right? You pass the torch. It's something you do in, in leadership or business or in churches. Or you pass the torch to the next generation. Well, that's an English idiom that comes from the old Greco-Roman games where they literally, their relay races were with a torch. There was a, a fire torch that was passed on. As when you finished your portion of the race, you pass, passed it on to the next runner. And in our modern world, we call it relay races, and you, you pass the baton. So I asked Janelle and Chandler, what sounds cooler, pass the torch or the baton? And they went with torch, thus the title of the message. So, um, But it's important. You, you run your part of the race, and then you pass the baton. You pass the torch to the next runner. We're in a, a series that we've been... Uh, just started last week as we di- had our in-house meeting, and I was really encouraged after last week, and, and when we talked about Joshua, and, and he was told to be strong and courageous as he led Israel into the promised land. And today, I'm, I want to talk about how Moses passed the torch to Joshua, and what is it that we can, can glean from in the life of Moses and, and what happened with him and Joshua. And so for us this morning, I want you to be thinking, like, what is our part in passing the torch? Who might you need to be passing some sort of torch to? What are the torches that need to be, be passed? I'm going to do my best to, to prime the pump of your mind and your heart, but that you will leave here thinking about this and what you can do to help pass the torch to the next generation. I read uh, some statistics in a a ministry called Man in the Mirror, and it's a men's ministry. And they surveyed men from the ages of 27 to 45 that they called de-churched. To be de-churched is, I used to be involved in church, I used to pray, I used to read the Bible, I used to fellowship, but now they don't. That's what a de-churched person is. And why does that happen? bad church experience, Um, you know, maybe they had a crisis of faith of some sort, who who, who knows. But within that window of 27 to 45, almost 70% of those men that were now de-churched had been de-churched for 10 years or more. So that means a guy who is 27, the last time he was, had a spiritual experience, read the Bible, went to church, he was 17 years old. That's staggering numbers of what's happening. The church, I don't just mean novation, the church across the board, people who follow Jesus, we can't be absentee parents. We have to pass the torch, the baton to the next generation. And there's a few things in that that I'm going to talk about, but here's what I want you to think about. If those statistics are true... What that tells me is in a, in a passing the torch, passing the baton, the one that's supposed to pass the baton can drop it before he gets it to the next person. And I think that's what's happened. But God's still God. He's still good. The gospel's still true. And he's called us as a church to be part of passing that on. So I want to talk about three things. The first thing is passing the torch of faith. You and I, every one of us, I don't care how young or old you are, 
can pass the torch of faith on to the next generation. You do it as, as parents. We do it in, in church. We do it with our family, our friends, our, our, our neighbors. It says in uh, the psalm, it, the, the psalmist, like the Hebrews always did, would rehearse what God has done so that they would continue to pass on the faith in, in what God had done in Israel. O oh, my people, listen to my instructions. Open your ears to what I am saying. For I will speak to you in a parable. I will teach you hidden lessons from our past. Stories we have heard and known. Stories our ancestors handed down to us. We will not hide these truths from our children. We will tell the next generation about the glorious deeds of the Lord. About his power and his mighty wonders. For he issued his laws to Jacob. He gave his instructions to Israel. He commanded our ancestors to teach them to their children so the next generation might know them, even the children not yet born. And they in turn will teach their own children. So each generation should set its hope anew on God, not forgetting his glorious miracles and obeying his commands. If you're a parent or a grandparent, talk to your kids or your grandkids about your faith. Tell them your story. Tell them your mistakes. Tell them your doubts. Tell them your struggles. That's how people you pass the faith on is by being real and being authentic. Your kids should know where you come from. And, and, and then you can tell them how good Jesus has been to you, how faithful he's been, what kind of a, a good God he has been to you. In reality, more is often caught than taught, though. We can speak it, but you model it. You model it for your kids. You model it for the next generation. So pass the torch of faith and then pass the torch of leadership. It's a huge mistake sometimes in leaders not knowing when to pass the torch or at least start thinking about passing the torch. And so I'm going to give you five stages of passing the torch of leadership from the relationship of Moses to Joshua. And for you to benefit most from this, I want you to be thinking, what stage might you be in when it comes to faith and leadership in, in your life and something that God might be calling you to do? And the first one is calling. It's a sense of calling. Everything starts with a sense of calling, an inner nudge a vision about what could and should be in your life, what God be, is asking you to do. Young people that are listening to me, do not ask the question, what do I want to do with my life? If you follow Jesus, say, what, what, God, what do you want to do with my life? What do you want to do with my life? Whatever it is, le let God be in the center of all your decision-making because his will is best for you and you will live a more joyful, uh, productive life in the center of his will rather than trying to do our own will. I know that shortly after I became a follower of Jesus at the age of 25, I felt a calling to give myself to local church ministry. But it didn't happen right away. There were some steps that I had to, to take, go to school, serve, and so forth. But ultimately... There was that calling, and you got to respond to that calling and begin to pray about it. In Numbers 27, 
18 through 20. God said to Moses, take Joshua, the son of Nun. It doesn't mean he didn't have parents. The spirit is in him and place your hand on him. Stand him before Eliezer, the priest, in front of the entire congregation and commission him with everyone watching. Pass your magistrate, you know what I'm saying, authority (laughs) to him. I've been practicing all week and I was like, I'm going to stumble on that word. I know it over to him so that the whole congregation of the people of Israel will listen obediently to him. There was the calling. And Moses was blessing him to recognize that calling. The second step after calling or stage is preparing. It's it's a stage of preparation. In Exodus 33.11, And God spoke with Moses face to face as neighbors speak to one another. When he would return to the camp, his attendant, the young man Joshua, stayed. He didn't leave the tent. He was his, his, his right-hand man, so to speak. So you have a sense of calling, and then there's a season of preparing where you're, you're watching someone, you're learning, you're gleaning, you're being prepared by whatever that current assignment is, whatever job you're doing, God is stirring the, the calling by preparing you. That happened to Samuel. If you remember, he couldn't hear from the Lord, and he was in a season of preparation. And then David... He was anointed king, and it took 10 years for this calling to be king to actually come, you know, to fulfillment. I think of Jesus. He spent 30 years, right, preparing for the three years of ministry he was going to do and demonstrating the miracles and preaching the good news and and, and, and sharing with his disciples. And then the disciples had three years of preparation, And who would have thought that Jesus was preparing these 12 men to go change the world? We are benefactors of what their ministry was. 12 guys changed the world, but they had to be prepared. Thirdly, equipping is the next stage. So you've got calling, preparing, and equipping. Numbers 11, 28. Joshua, son of Nun who had been Moses' right-hand man since his youth. So as a little guy, he walked with Moses. He served with him. I was just talking with Scott, our bass player, this morning, because I was thinking about knowing Steve, our drummer, is also an electrician, and you have this apprentice season where you apprentice underneath someone who's a journeyman and then ultimately a master electrician. Master electricians can go and do whatever, and they have the the highest clout, so to speak. But you have to be a journeyman and an apprentice for a season where you learn your trade, where you're being equipped. And you might be in a season of being equipped today. And whenever you're in a season of being equipped, you want to get to the next stage of actually doing and leading. But you can't, can't bypass that. I was thinking about my calling. And I'm not making this about me. I just have the microphone so I get to tell you about my life a little bit this morning. And when I was in Bible school, I I knew that God wanted me in local church ministry. I just didn't have an avenue that I knew for sure what he wanted to do. 
And so I'm in, in Bible school, and I, I was like doing nursing home ministry, jail ministry, anything I could do. And one day, the youth pastor, Tim, of, of the church that I served at, um, he came to me, and he said, he was from Australia, mate, and he said, hey, mate, you want to play your guitar tonight at youth ministry? Because I play electric guitar. And I was like, I could do that. I'm the least likely candidate for youth ministry at the time. I really was. Like, I didn't, I didn't really like high school kids at the time. <laughs> and I was like, how am, how am I going to be? Uh, I, I'm sorry, just being honest. I um, love them now. But at the time, it just it was, it seemed squirrely to me. And um, so I went and played my guitar. That's all I did. I had a blast. So I went the next week and then the next week. And then Tim's having me do announcements. Then one day he said, I want you to preach. I want you to teach. And I put together this sermon. I had this sense of calling to teach God's word, but I'd never really done any public speaking. So I, I, I had the desire. It was the worst message in the history of the church, literally. You look it up and it's in there. But... Tim gave me opportunities, and he gave me opportunities to fail. And so as I'm, I'm serving with him, we had this uh, week-long re- revival kind of uh, youth outreach sort of thing that we were going to do, and we had a trip to El Salvador that I was going to go on, our youth ministry, and David Brecht was, was on that trip. That's where he and I knew each other and um, met each other. So in the spring of 1996, we took the youth on a ski trip. And, and when I graduated Bible school, I remember telling Tim, I said, I don't know what God has for me and what the future holds, but I'm going to serve you and I'm going to serve this ministry until I get my next orders from the Lord. And so I was doing that. It, it was a year after. He broke his neck on a ski trip. He had a snowboarding accident, last run of the day. And he, thank God he didn't, you know, die or, 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 or get, um, you know, crippled or anything like that. But he, um, he couldn't do anything. So they put it all on my shoulders, the volunteer guy. And I had to run a week-long outreach. And then I had to go lead a mission trip in a foreign country. And I've never done anything like that. What, what, what was I going to do? And... And I did it, and on that trip to El Salvador, God really confirmed to me a calling. And I went to, back in that summer, Tim and Pastor George, my pastor, took me out to lunch, and they said, do you want to lead high school, the high school ministry, be the high school youth pastor, because Tim's going to start a young adult ministry. And young and dumb, I said, sure. And I I got paid $18,000 a year, <laughs> full-time work. I didn't care. I was going to trust God. And I, was, I, I knew what he had called me to do, and I had gone through a huge season of equipping. We're always being equipped to whatever God calls us to do, but for that particular role, I'm thank God. I look back on the calling, the preparing, and the, the equipping. And I did youth ministry joyfully for several years. Many in this room were part of 
that youth ministry and are, are serving in novation now. It's, it's crazy to me to, to think about. Joel Dennis, I was his small group leader when he was in the ninth grade. <laughs> and he's got 12 kids of his own now and a grown man. But it's just crazy to, to look back on that. But I, would, I say all that to not talk about myself, but look at your life. How can you help equip someone else in passing the torch? So we go from calling, preparing, equipping to the doing. Doing. Exodus 17, 9. So Moses said to Joshua, choose men for us and go out, fight against Amalek. Tomorrow I will station myself on the top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand. Moses, go do. Go do the work now. You've been called, you've been prepared, you've been equipped. It's time to go do. I would say this to you. If you don't have a vision for your life and calling, maybe you have a sense of stirring of some sort, serve someone else's vision until you get your own. I did that for 15 years. I served someone else's vision until the fulfillment of what God had put in my heart. Serve someone else's vision and watch what God will do in the middle of that. And then we go from calling, preparing, equipping, doing... To then leading, passing the torch of leadership. In Joshua 1.16, he had just rallied the Israelites as their new leader, and they answered Joshua saying, all that you have commanded us, we will do, and wherever you send us, we will go. I think when you think of leadership, there is a why leader, W-H-Y, a why leader, a how leader, and there's what leaders. Why, how, why, how, and what. And they all need each other. A why leader gets a vision and says, hey, let's take that mountain. Hey, let's start a church. And the how, how leader, and the troops get rallied, and the what people say, let's do it, I'm in, I'm in. And how leaders go, well, how are we going to do that? And the why leader says, I don't know. That's why you're with me. And let's go do this. And you, you, they all go together in, in, in following the vision that, that God has for us. Know yourself. Um, we, as leaders, we should talk about this. Like, am I a why leader? Is that why I'm always thinking in the future? Am I always thinking about possibilities? Vision is a conviction of what could and should be what's keeping you up at night, of what you see for your life in the future. It could be to start a business. It could be to go to school. It could be to get married. I don't know what it is. But the vision is what could and, and should be. So pass the torch of faith, pass the torch of leadership, and then light someone's torch. That old Christian song just came in my mind. Go light the candle or whatever. My, Tanya, am I in the right room? Okay. I always go with her on the Amy Grant stuff. But um, Miles Monroe was a Christian leader. I think he was in the, the Caribbean, maybe Jamaica. He tragically died in a small plane wreck years back. But before he died, he had a dream. And in his dream, there was an Olympic runner, a relay runner, who was dead in a coffin holding the baton. 
And it was pretty obvious to him what God was trying to speak about passing the baton, so to speak, metaphorically, to, to the next generation. And it got me to thinking about the Olympics. How many love the Olympics, right? It's winter or summer, which are better? Both. <laughs> okay. Um, at the Olympic ceremony, the, the, the first opening ceremony, they, you have the big, huge flame, right? The fire that's going to last the whole time of the Olympics. It's, it stays going. And during the ceremony, somebody takes an unlit torch and they go to the, to the flame and let that torch get lit. And then what happens is somebody else with an unlit torch, they come together they light that torch and so on and so on. That's what they used to do in the games. So I almost showed you a video I found on the YouTube, but I thought it was too long. So I'll let you search the YouTube and just search Passing the Torch Olympics. It was pretty cool, actually. And I started thinking about the, the metaphor maybe that's there or the analogy that God is a consuming fire. God is the fire, the eternal flame. And we go to God, and he lights our hearts. He lights us. And then we get to light other people's torches. He uses people to, to, to be connected with him and to have our torch lit, so, so to speak. And we keep passing it on. What does that mean for you and I? It's no coincidence that God is up to something in our church when it comes to this idea of mentoring and discipleship and passing the torch. The whole uh, idea with what Carrie was talking about for the ladies thing is, is equipping and, and passing how-tos on to the next generation or pass how-tos to the, to the older generation and this coming together in the context of relationship and community. Guys, that's church. That is church. That's how we do things. So I would, I'll give you two challenges. First, find a mentor. Find a mentor. Seek it out. I remember when I was a young believer, I would talk to anyone who would listen to me that I could talk about Jesus with, that I could you know, handle the scriptures with and, and grow as a, as a young man. I need, need mentoring. So seek out a mentor. We got a lot of great people in this church. The opportunity to have someone mentor you is right here. I think mentor, disciple, whatever word you want to use, it's the same thing. It's, it's someone lighting someone's torch. And then the second challenge is be a mentor. We got some savvy, sage followers of Jesus in our church, and I thank God for that. You have something to pass on. You have something of faith, leadership, how-tos, so to speak, that people need. So it happens, though, in the context of relationships. It's hard to program something like this, right? Um, I know Joey is a mentor in Save Our Youth, which is awesome. And I don't want to neglect any of our kids or any of the next generation that's going on here. We have youth ministry. Last week, Mark passionately talked about his love for our students and our children. And he asked, would you come help? Would you give up an hour and a half on a Sunday night to build relationships with kids? And um, I, I say, take that challenge. 
I was the least likely candidate for youth ministry, and it ended up becoming <laughs> my vocation for a good season of my, my ministry life. Men's ministry, Brian talked about that just a minute ago. The men's core breakfasts and the events that we do, it's lighting torches, it's, it's helping, it's mentoring, it's growing. Faith, leadership, and the how-tos of life. My dad was one of my greatest mentors. But he didn't teach me how to change oil or anything to do with cars because he didn't know anything about it. He didn't have the ability to teach me how to do that. did teach me how to hit a curveball pretty well. And he modeled uh, just people skills for me to, to, to watch and, and authenticity and that kind of stuff. So... We're not going to get everything from our dads. We're not going to get everything from a mentor, but there are how-to opportunities. We have people who are really smart with money and finances in this church that would be willing to sit down with you over a cup of coffee and help you get your financial house in order if that's a problem. It's the how-tos of life. Take advantage of this. Find a mentor. Be a mentor. I think mentoring goes in seasons. When I look back on my life, there's different seasons of my life that different people played as mentor in my life that I don't even regularly talk to anymore. But I look back and I think, wow, that person really influenced me in this season, in this season. So being a mentor isn't a lifelong commitment. Hopefully it could be a lifelong friendship, but it, it, it could be a seasonal kind of thing. So I want to close kind of with this. Like I said, we have some things that I think we're praying about in this mentoring um, environment as part of our, our church. Again, it's hard to program, but we got to be intentional. And that means you have to be intentional, too, about finding a mentor and, and being one to somebody. But for now, let's pray about it. I believe that, that each one of us needs a Paul in our life, the Apostle Paul, someone that we can look up to and that we glean from. We all need a Barnabas in our life, which is Paul's uh, best friend and co-laborer was a guy named Barnabas. He, they supported one another. And then we all need a, a Timothy in our life, someone that we're pouring into. Paul called Timothy his son in the faith. He poured into Timothy. Timothy, became, as a young man, went on to be the pastor of the church of Ephesus, which some say had 20,000, 30,000 people in it. That was the first megachurch. <laughs> but, but Timothy, you, you need a Paul. Do you have a Paul in your life? Do you have a Barnabas? And do you have a Timothy? If not, would you pray and ask God to show you? Um, I can't be everybody's Paul. I can't be everybody's Barnabas. I can't be everybody's Timothy because I'm going to be 55 in October anyway. But um, I hope this is hitting home with you. And I hope that, that some of you that maybe are in an older season of life, you could say, you know what? I'll, I'm going to spend these years of my life pouring into the next generation because we need you. They need you. Have a Barnabas, someone you can do core group with and be real with that helps you and encourages you. And then maybe it's with Mark somewhere, there's a Timothy. Timothy, 
pouring into somebody doesn't necessarily always mean age. It could mean a new believer, someone who's new to following Jesus that needs, just needs you, needs your wisdom, needs your encouragement. I mean, no, this world is pretty discouraging at times. We need one another. Will you stand with me? struggled with how to bring this to a close like what would we do and I think what this more is right now than a how-to but a rally cry to get us thinking and praying about what does God want for our church family what's his vision moving forward as a community and how can we pass the faith on how can we pass leadership on we do that by lighting someone's torch, so to speak. So Lord, we thank you for Jesus, our Savior, our Lord, our Rabbi. And we ask you, Holy Spirit, to show us, Lord, the direction you want us to go in whatever season of life that we find ourselves in. We thank you for the gospel. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you defeated our enemies of sin, death, and the evil one by your cross and resurrection. And we put our trust and faith and hope and allegiance to you today. We love you because you first loved us. I pray for all our parents in this room, people that are, that are parents and grandparents. Give them wisdom, Lord, in, in leading their kids and grandkids and, and patience and wisdom, God. I pray for single folks in our church that, that they would find people that they can lead and mentor. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your joy, your grace. In Jesus' name, amen.